Welcome to the Resonate Boise Sermons Podcast. Today, you'll be hearing from our site pastor, Jonah Link, as he begins our Colossians sermon series, looking at the marks of a mature Christian. To get into our, our new series that we're going to be in, we're going to be in the book of Colossians over the next couple of weeks. I, I want to ask all of you a question. How many of you guys have siblings? Most of us, if you're a single kid, uh, like an only kid in the room, like, oh man, I feel bad for you. And I also, uh, I'm, I'm jealous a little bit. I have five siblings. Childhood was fantastic. But there was a point where, for whatever reason, my siblings started to like mimic me and copy the things that I would say just to purely annoy me. And so I have four younger siblings. It was mostly Daniel that did this, my younger brother, and love him to death. But this is a point in my childhood that was rather contentious, led us to some fights, physical fights. But we would have this moment where I would say something and he would just copy me. Everything I said, he'd say it back to me and he would just mimic me. And it was so frustrating and it would lead me to the point to say, Daniel, you're so immature. You are so immature. And I bet some of you had those exact words come out of your mouth towards your siblings. Maybe, probably, if not, I'm the only sinner in the room. But the reality is I was so frustrated at Daniel and I would call him immature in those moments, though I probably did those same exact things to my older sister. For us, sitting in the room today, we are young, right? The majority of us are incredibly young. We're, I'm 28 years old. Most of you are probably younger than me, a handful of you older, but not by much. We are incredibly young. And something that comes along with being young, like I viewed Daniel, like you probably viewed your siblings, there's a sense of growing immaturity that happens as you age. As you walk with Jesus, you become more and more mature. So the demographic of our church, if you looked into some data that Pew Research has, about 17% of evangelical or Protestant Christians, they are going to fall into the category of 18 to 29 years old, which is quite literally the majority of Resonate Boise. And that makes up about 17% of all of those that Pew Research uh, did a study on. So that means about 83% of churchgoers in our sphere are older than us, hence more than likely going to be more mature. And that's just a reality that we find ourselves in today. Back in 2018, we moved down from Pullman, Washington to start a church at Boise State. There's a, a group of us that said we want to leverage our lives to reach people down here. It's been five years since that moment, a little over five years. That's not a lot of time. And in the middle of that, we had a global pandemic. So we are a really young church. We are incredibly young. Like I said, something that comes along with age is maturity. And to be mature means to be fully developed. So today, we're going to start working through the book of Colossians. And one of the main themes that we see throughout this book is this. It's found in verse 28 of Colossians 1. Jesus is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. So as we work through this book of Colossians, this letter that is written to the church in Colossae, we're going to end up discussing 
a bunch of different things that Paul writes about, but our hope is to encourage and build up each one of you so that we may present you fully mature in Christ when Jesus returns. We want to grow us in maturity. So before we jump into the text for today, I want to do a completely subjective thing for you this morning. I want you to answer two questions. On a scale of one to 10, how spiritually mature would you say that you are? Scale of one to 10, how spiritually mature would you say that you are? And the second one, how pleased is God with you? How pleased is God with you? Maybe some, a couple numbers popped right into your mind in that moment, but it is hard to measure that, right? Even if I ask those questions, you're like, what do I do with that, Jonah? That, that isn't helpful at all for me in this moment. I have no idea. You might be thinking about the person next to you. You're like, well, what'd they put? I, I don't know. I think they're more mature than I am for sure. So I'll just do one less than them. I'm not sure what is going through your mind in this moment. Maybe you're not even a follower of Jesus. Jesus is not Lord of your life at this moment in time. So you're like, have even less clue how to answer those questions. Regardless of the state of your relationship with Jesus, as you sit here this morning, it's gonna show you that you need a tool to measure your maturity. You need a framework for understanding or a lens that you see maturity through. I think Colossians does that very thing for us. So Colossians, to give you a little bit of a background, it's a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church that is centered in Colossae. And so for the first two verses of chapter one, Paul gives a very Pauline introduction to his letter by saying this, writing this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God, our Father. This town of Colossae, it's not a big town. It's not important. It used to be, but when this letter is written, other towns around it had overtaken in popularity and um, in significance. But the church is very significant. It's one of the few churches that we see that letters are written to by Paul that Paul didn't start himself. What happens here is there's this guy named Epaphras that we just read about that ends up coming and starting this church because he's equipped with the gospel and sent out. And he starts this church, what we assume as we read this letter. He is the one that this church is started with. People start coming to faith as Epaphras shares the gospel and a church is formed, and Paul hears the good news. Somehow Epaphras communicates with Paul, and he, Paul hears about it, and he is so encouraged by what is going on. People are coming to faith in Colossae. A church is planted, and a beautiful work of God is begun there. The people in that time, they are less than 100 years removed from Jesus' resurrection. So you can imagine there are people maybe even in this church that are eyewitnesses to what have, could have unfolded, what did unfold with Jesus' resurrection. Yet at the same time, as we'll read in this letter, people are struggling in their faith. They are hearing things that are contrary to the gospel of Jesus that they were told by Epaphras and the people around him. And so Paul writes this letter trying to encourage them, confirm their belief in the gospel, root them in truth, because they are young. They are immature in some ways, as we'll read. 
So Paul is trying to write to them to encourage them, build them up, and present them fully mature in Christ. And so I think this letter that we're going to work through over the next couple of weeks is going to be so impactful and helpful for us as we, in fact, are young. So this morning, we're going to work through the first 14 verses of Colossians chapter 1. So if you're not already there in your Bible, you can go ahead and turn there. If you don't have a Bible, come talk to me after. I would love to gift you one. But Colossians 1, 3 through 8 says this. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people. The faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it had been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. Paul begins this letter by telling the Christians and Colossae that they are constantly in Paul and Timothy's prayers. They're always thanking God for them, for their faith, for the way that they are loving the people around them. Paul somehow is hearing stories again and again of what God is doing in Colossae, and he is so built up and encouraged. Like Paul is literally encouraged by what is going on there. So how many of you are like words of affirmation people in here? Raise your hand. Well, there's a lot fewer fewer of us than I thought, but but that's me. I I love when someone is able to come to me and say, hey, I, I see that you are working hard doing this good thing. It makes me feel really loved. And same with the five of you, I guess, that raised your hand. I hope some of you aren't lying. I'm a huge words of affirmation person. And I imagine what's happening in this situation, I look at it and I'm saying, you replicate what you celebrate. I don't know who said that. I've heard it throughout my couple years of ministry up to this point, so I don't know where to give credit, but maybe Paul has the same train of thought here. I want you guys to continue in this, replicate this as I celebrate you in this work. You are doing incredible things for the Lord because of the faith that you have in him, because of your faith, because of what Jesus has done in your heart up to this point. Incredible things are happening. Just keep going. Just keep going. He says he's constantly thanking God for them because of their response to their faith and the true message of the gospel. And it's building up Paul and Timothy. It's building them up. Just a quick question I want to prompt for you. How often are you sharing stories of God's grace and mercy towards his people with the people around you? How often are you having conversations like that where you're encouraging each other and building each other up based solely on what God is doing? That's what it seems like Paul is doing here. And it's one of the first things he mentions in his letter. So maybe that's an incredibly important thing for us to do with one another. And then Paul builds on his encouragement to them by letting them know that the gospel, it's being planted. It's seeds are being scattered all around the world. God isn't only saving people in Colossae. God is saving people all over the world to their understanding. And so Paul, in reverse, is trying to encourage them like, hey, God is doing more than just saving souls in the space that you are in right now. God is moving all around you. Resident, do you know that God is moving? He is saving souls all around you. That's not rhetorical. Uh, Do you guys know that he is doing that? 
It seems like a, a duh type of question, right? When we understand the breadth and width and the goodness of God and his desire for us and desire for his people to come to the knowledge of the truth. But I think so often we get so much tunnel vision seeing what God isn't doing around us. Maybe you have a specific person you've been praying for for years and God has not saved them yet. And you're so focused on what God hasn't done that you don't have the eyes to see what God's doing all around you today. Well, I want to give you an example to encourage you and build you up. I was on campus. I mean, it was over a year ago at this point. It was right before Resonate Conference last year. I was sitting there doing some work on my computer and these three young guys walk up to me and one of them is really loud, straightforward, and they really clearly are trying to recruit me to something. I'm like, what's going on here, guys? I find out they're working for Vivint. They want me to sell security systems for them. I do an internship. They think I'm a student. And I quickly am like, hey, guys, I don't want you to waste your time. Like, I'm a pastor. I got a job. Like, I don't need another one. And uh, eventually, we start talking about Jesus. The guy on the left, forget his name, he wants nothing to do with Jesus. I can tell from the get-go. Guy in the middle, Chase, he wants something to do with Jesus. Not, not a ton, though. Like, he's not super interested. But the guy that was sitting in the back of those three, his name was Jeremy. Right when I started talking about Jesus, he comes to the front and starts engaging with me. And he begins to tell me, I've been trying to figure out my relationship with Jesus here in Boise. I have no idea what it looks like. Can you help me? I was like... I got the guy for you. I'll give you to Mark. Uh, Mark led him so well and encouraged him. And about a month after he met Mark, Mark says, oh, what the heck? I'll give, shoot him an invite to Resonate Conference. He comes up to Resonate Conference. Like Mark's so surprised by this. Comes up to conference, experiences God up there. Hears about one of our church plants that is going to Grand Junction, Colorado. And it piques his interest. He goes to the interest meeting. He ends up saying, actually, I want to pursue this. Unbeknownst to Mark, Mark has no idea. He's like, I think I actually want to do this. And so over, I don't know what it's been since then, but that whole entire time from resident conference to now, he's been uh, engaging with the planter to be that's going to Grand Junction. His name's Jordan Scott. He's been talking with him, texting him, calling him. And Jordan's been like discipling him this whole entire time, right as Mark was telling me, dude, I, I feel like I failed Jeremy. I feel like I didn't pursue him well enough, disciple him well enough. And Mark gets, I don't know if it was a text or call a couple of weeks ago. And Jeremy's like, yeah, I'm moving to Grand Junction, Colorado to help plant a church. And we're just like, what? Like Mark was sitting there discouraged because he felt like he didn't do enough. Yet this guy wants to give his life to see people come to faith in Jesus in Grand Junction, Colorado. Like, are you kidding me, guys? God is at work all around us all the time, even when we don't see it. I tell you that to encourage you. There are people that want to know Jesus and he is working in their hearts right now and he just is waiting to introduce you to him. And that should lead us to what Paul writes about here, thanksgiving and praise. That's what it should lead us to. And Paul writes what, what he writes next in verse seven and eight, I think will help us do just that. He says, you learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf. And also, and who also told us of your love in the spirit. So Paul reminds them, hey, you heard this gospel, this thing that has absolutely changed every part of your life. You heard it from Epaphras, who is a faithful follower of Jesus, who was sent out. Well, guys, a reminder to all of us, we are all sitting in this room because someone like Epaphras shared the gospel with us, right? 
there was someone in your life that shared with you the truth of the gospel that brought you into this very space today. If you don't know Jesus and you're sitting here today, there is someone that God has sent that has been pursuing you and loving you and showing you the very love of God that made you even want to come into this space today. So I think regardless of your state of your walk with Jesus, you can look at this moment and say, Paul is trying to encourage the church in Colossae that Epaphras was sent by God. And there was, there's someone in your life, whether it's today, in the past, a family member, a friend, a colleague, coworker, whatever it might be, that was equipped with the gospel, that was faithful to share it with you. And now you have an eternal faith, an eternal belonging, eternal life in Jesus because of the faithfulness and the obedience of that person to share the true message of the gospel with you. And that is obviously worthy of giving thanks to God for That is worthy of giving thanks to God for. This leads us into a specific prayer that Paul has for the church in Colossae. And I would say, if you don't know how to pray for Resonate Boise, just go there and just pray that every single day. Pray this prayer every single day for us here in Boise. This is what Paul writes. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, giving in the or growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you might have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the father. So Paul, he's praying this prayer over this young church, areas of immaturity within the church, I'm sure. As with us, newsflash, we are immature as well in ways. And he prays this over them so that they might become fully mature in Christ. And this is what I'm praying for us, resonate as well. As you read that prayer, you can break it up into three sections. The first section of that prayer, you're going to see that Paul wants them to understand that he is constantly praying for them. He is constantly praying for them, continuously asking God to fill them with the knowledge of his will, which ultimately leads them down a path towards maturity in Christ. This is where it's leading them. Those that understand God's will through the Spirit, move towards living a life pleasing to God. That's what Paul is praying right here. As we lean into understanding who God is, we can't help but live a life pleasing to him. Yeah, we're still sinful. We're still broken. We still don't have it all figured out. But those who submit their lives to Christ that open themselves to the will of the Father and the Spirit's work within us, it leads us ultimately to want to live a life pleasing to him. Those who are mature in Christ tend to find themselves more frequently saying no to their sinful nature and yes to what pleases God. And Paul is praying that this would become their reality as am I for us. The second part of this prayer, Paul seems to describe what marks of a mature Christian could look like. Granted, he's not writing an entire list. We have more marks of a mature Christian that we'll talk about in the weeks to come. But he names four here. First one is bearing fruit. And then we see growing, we see being empowered, and we see giving thanks. See, these four marks that seem to be 
of a mature Christian, according to Paul. So it's bearing fruit. Well, this means to produce something that is good in the eyes of God. Produce something good in the eyes of God. When you bear fruit, you are accomplishing things in the name of Jesus that ultimately bring him glory. Ultimately, it brings him glory. You look at Romans 7. It paints a picture of personal repentance, turning from your sin, acknowledging your sin for what it is, and turning towards Jesus and what he did on the cross and receiving forgiveness from him. It leads you to produce good fruit. The byproduct of our repentance is good fruit, according to Paul in Romans 7. Galatians 5, fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is the thing that the Spirit produces in us, the fruit that is produced within us when the Spirit of God lives in us. Number two is growing. And this is what Paul describes as being filled with the knowledge of God's will through the wisdom and the understanding that the Spirit gives there's a quote by this guy named Douglas Moo. He's a, a well-known scholar, a biblical scholar. He says, <clears throat> Spirit given insight into the will of God, as important as it is, it's not an end in and of itself. Echoing a consistent biblical theme, Paul indicates that Colossians, the Colossians' mental and attitudinal realignment is to produce behavioral transformation. Essentially, what God has done in your heart needs to produce something. What God's done in your heart produces something in us which looks a lot like bearing fruit and obedience to Jesus. And when we are followers of Jesus, we continue to grow in that. We continue to grow in our obedience, our, the quickness by which we repent with. All of these things allow us to continue to grow into God's will and into mature followers of Jesus. Third thing that we see is being empowered. And so Paul prays that they would be strengthened with power according to God's might so that they might have endurance and patience. That's exactly what Paul prays over them. And boy, do we need a lot of that, right? In the world that we live in, we need endurance. We need patience. We need the very power of God that raised Jesus from the dead to be very active in our lives. We absolutely need that. And so that's what Paul is praying over the Colossian church. And the fourth thing we see is giving thanks. We give thanks when we know we have received something as a gift. That's when we give thanks. When the mature Christian understands what they have received in the free gift of grace that we've been given from Jesus, you cannot help but give thanks. You cannot help but give thanks. And I think that's why Paul writes this in this moment. That's why it's a marker of a mature Christian. Because you understand you understood your need, you accepted the gift, and now all you can do is give thanks because as Ephesians talk to, talks about, it's not of our own doing. We didn't do anything to deserve it. It's all a gift from God so that none of us can boast. And so I'm not sure what you rated yourself when I asked that question earlier about your maturity in Christ, but maybe you could look at these four and say, are these four things that I may be living into or not? Maybe these are ways that you can, and lenses by which you can look at your life and ask yourself the question, am I growing in maturity in Christ? So the mature Christian aims to lead or to live a life pleasing to God. The mature Christian aims to live a life pleasing to God. Third, third part of this prayer, Paul ends it by reminding them of the gospel of Jesus. The entire reason why they have an opportunity and chance to pursue maturity in Christ 
is because of what Christ did for them on the cross. Same thing for us today. And this is where we're going to spend the rest of our time. Verses 12 through 14, Paul writes, And giving joyful thanks to the Father, who has qualified you in the inheritance of his holy people, in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. What has the Father done? He's qualified us. He's given us a chance at this inheritance. And it's, like I said, it's not because of anything that we have done. That's why he deserves the thanks, and he deserves it alone. The gift that we've inherited, we couldn't earn. So the gospel of Jesus is that we were rescued from our sin. Jesus came down to earth, fully God, fully man. He lived a perfect life, and we could not Romans 3.23 says we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. None of us are perfect as Jesus lived. But because Jesus lived perfectly, when he dies on that cross, he took upon himself all of your sin, all of our sin. And so long as we put our hope and trust in the finished work of Jesus on the cross, we will be saved. Our sins will be forgiven. We will have redemption according to that last line, which is so incredibly rich. And so to answer the second question that I prompted earlier on, how pleased is, or how pleased is God with you? Well, the answer is if you've put your hope and trust in the finished work of Jesus on the cross, he's pleased with you. You can throw, you can throw down a 10. If you put your hope and trust in Jesus, if you've turned from your sin and put your trust in him, God is pleased with you. God's pleased with you. So God isn't pleased with you because you did enough, but because Jesus did. Let's say that again. God is not pleased with you because of what you've done up to this point in your life. God is pleased with you because of what Jesus did. So Mark will teach on this next week, but verses 19 through 20 says this. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, being Jesus, and through Jesus to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So if Jesus did in fact take our rightful place on that cross, on that cross, and God is pleased with Jesus, God looks at us when we repent and believe in the finished work of Jesus, He's, he can be pleased with us. He can be pleased with us now. So now, whether you think about whether God is pleased with you or not, it rests in the fact of have you put your hope and trust in Jesus? If you've done that, the answer is simple for you. If not, the answer is also simple for you. Repent and believe in the finished work of Jesus, and he will be pleased with you. And so the mature Christian understands that God is pleased with them because of Jesus. The mature Christian understands that God is pleased with them because of Jesus. When we think about becoming mature in Christ, there seems to be so many thoughts that might come into our mind. People that you picture as mature followers of Jesus. And don't get me wrong, there are, I think there are many markers of someone that is a mature follower of Jesus, and we'll get to it. But this is the part that we have to start at. God is pleased with you if you have confessed and believed in the finished work of Jesus. This is where we have to start this conversation of a maturity in Christ. 
Because out of our being children of God, we would call that our identity, who we are at the very core. We long to live a life pleasing to him. We long to live a life of obedience to Jesus because of who we are now in Christ. So church, God is pleased with you. God is pleased with you. And now you can go forward living a life pleasing to him. That's good news for us. And so Brooke's going to come up in a second and she's going to lead us in a time of communion where we can respond by praising God for what Jesus did for us on the cross. But I, wanna, I would be remiss to not lead us into a time of prayer as well as we literally walked through one of Paul's prayers for the church. So I'm going to have Olivia in the back throw up four different ways that I would love for you to pray through. If you don't feel comfortable praying, that's totally okay. You can chat with the person next to you if you need to. If you want someone to pray over you, you're more than welcome. If you want to listen to the people around you as they pray out loud, you're welcome to do that as well. But based on what we just went through, the first part is reverence. Praise God. Thank him. If we sit in those last uh, two verses, 13 and 14, it says, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us in to the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And you can praise God for that. You should absolutely praise God for that. Thank God for the person that he sent into your life to help you understand the truth of the gospel for the first time. Thank God, praise him, revere God in that moment. Second thing you can pray through is how is God prompting you to respond? You've heard me talk a lot, maybe more than you wanted to this morning, but the reality is how is God speaking to you? I can say all sorts of things, but I believe God is speaking to you. And what God has to say is so incredibly important. So maybe you need to repent of sin in your life. That means turn away from it, acknowledge that it is outside of God's design. Maybe you need to repent to the people around you. Maybe you need to respond by reminding yourself of the freedom that you actually have in Jesus. You've been, you've been feeling like you have to do all the right things all of the time rather than sit in the finished work of Jesus and the freedom that you have to live by grace. If you don't know Jesus, if you haven't submitted your life to him, maybe that's your response today. Maybe you want to say for the first time, Lord, I want to submit my life to you. The majority of the people sitting around you have given their life to Jesus. Ask them how. Scripture talks of confessing and believing and you will be saved. Would you pray with the people around you and confess and believe in the finished work of Jesus and be welcomed and ushered into the kingdom of heaven? Third way is request. What do you need to ask of God? Maybe you need to ask God for a thankful heart. You, you've been looking at all the stuff God isn't doing around you and you just need to have a moment where you need to ask God, God, help me see what you're doing around me. I want to praise you. I want to worship you, but I have a tunnel vision right now. Lord, would you help me see what you're doing around me? Maybe you want to ask God to save your family member, your best friend. Go to God, ask him for that. He wants to do it. He desires people to choose him. Fourth prompt is readiness. Where do you go from here? So this is where you can claim a promise of God. I think about John 15, 11, where Jesus is talking about what obedience to him entails and your love for him shows, uh, your obedience to him shows your love for him. He says this, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So I'm gonna pray for us. 
Father, thank you for sending Jesus. Ultimately, God, we know that it's because of Jesus that we have life, that we can have joy, purpose, all of those things that come along with faith in you and a relationship with you. Lord, I pray for all of us in this room. Lord, as we aim to walk in maturity, as we aim to walk in a way that's pleasing to you, Lord, uh, would you let us sit in the fact that you, Jesus, came, died, resurrected, that is all found in you. And Lord, I pray that people would be encouraged and built up this morning as you remind them of the work that you're doing around them and in their own lives. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.